You're listening to the Inside Intercom podcast. Intercom, making internet business personal at scale. Learn more at intercom.com. Welcome to another edition of the Inside Intercom podcast. As Trello CEO Michael Pryor shared with us on the show back in the fall of 2016, the right product at the right time can still fail without the right marketing strategy. Whether you're trying to attract users, establish credibility, or grab the attention of potential investors, you're going to need to spread your product story, and that means getting a handle on PR. To explore how to do just that, Intercom Director of Communications Jennifer Coots hosts a conversation with Lucy Allen. Lucy's the general manager and head of Bay Area at Edelman, a leading global communications and PR firm. She spent the past two decades working with technology companies of all sizes, from young startups to likes of SAP and Adobe, to build their profile and share their stories. In her chat with Jennifer, Lucy explains how startups can suss out what's actually newsworthy. Business media in particular typically writes about just two things, people and money. How early stage companies can build public credibility. A startup, you may not have vast numbers of customers or great big partner ecosystems to talk about yet. What you do have is your founders. And why conversational interfaces are changing the PR paradigm. Reputations will be formed, perceptions created at the chatbot interface. And so it's really important that from a communicator's perspective, that experience is aligned with the overall perception and reputation that you want to create for your company. If you like what you hear, want to catch more Inside Intercom episodes, subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And now let's hop in the studio with Jennifer and Lucy. So Lucy, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Um, You have, and I know this from personal experience because we spent some time working together in the past, but I know you have about 20 years of PR and comms experience um, here in the Bay Area. Uh, Can you give us just a quick overview of your career trajectory and um, kind of the types of clients that you've worked with? Sure, happy to. So as you said, 20 years in technology predominantly, marketing and PR for technology companies, about 14 of those in the Bay Area. I actually started my career in the UK, as you can probably tell from my accent, working (laughs) with uh, large brands like SAP and BT. But in the 14 years that I've been in the Bay Area, I've predominantly worked with startups and late stage private companies in the tech, in a range of tech fields. Um, More recently in my role as general manager at Edelman in the Bay Area, we're working with companies across a range of sectors. So There's a strong presence in technology, but also in healthcare, consumer goods, consumer services, food, beverage, and uh, education and finance. So one of the reasons we were so excited to have you on the show was you wrote a blog post about chatbots and PR, which um, I believe was published on LinkedIn. And in many ways, a bot, and, and for this scenario, we're going to characterize a bot as any conversation that happens between a business and a consumer through a messaging interface with a level of automation. This really marks the intersection of product and PR in a really interesting way. Uh, and this could be you know, through a concierge service, a customer support scenario, or even ordering a pizza through Facebook Messenger, that sort of a thing. Um, in your opinion, what role should communications play in a chat? strategy? Mm -hmm. Well, I think there are a couple of things. I think the first thing is that communicators need to recognize that a lot of our news consumption will happen through 
chatbots in the future. It's already happening. I think now it's over a year since messaging apps have overtaken social networks in terms of monthly active users. So when you think about it from that perspective, you think about how much news we consume or have consumed through social networks and how much we're likely to be consuming through bots. As a communicator, you need to be ahead of that. Mm -hmm. I think the bigger picture here is that as you hinted at just then, this is an indicator of the general trend towards the fusion of PR with product. So it's no longer the case that PR's job or communicator's job is just to wait until the product is fully baked and then promote it. Sure. Uh, it's our job to really uh, understand and implement and be part of the product itself. Yeah. And so when with the chatbot, the channel of communication is actually part of the experience that the user or the consumer or the customer has of that brand and part of the core service that that company is providing. So the experience, the, the you know, reputations will be formed, perceptions created at the chatbot interface. Sure. And so it's really important that from a communicator's perspective, that experience is aligned with the overall perception and reputation that you want to create for your company. Sure. So how should a chatbot's voice uh, and tone mesh with the overall brand? And, you know, can you are there any examples that you can cite that um, maybe have done this particularly well or particularly poorly? Well, I think we're still in the early days. Uh, I don't believe that we have established what the best practices are yet. At Edelman, we estimate that there are about 50 to 100 large brands that have a messaging app of some sort. So we're still very early, and there's an opportunity for people to uh, build a significant audience by getting in early. Mm -hmm. A lot of the media companies were the first to try this out, and I think Wall Street Journal and Business Insider, for example, do a good job of engaging with their audiences in a way that is aligned with the editorial voice that they're very well known for and sure. is consistent across their other channels. Yeah. So they're a good example. When it comes to brands, uh, non-media brands, a lot of those, you know, the organizations range widely. A lot of them are using bots for a particular function or like a, an, a to help create a sense of an exclusive community sure. um, alerts and um, special offers and promotions and those include brands all the way from luxury retailers like Burberry through to the NFL you know right, right. there aren't I don't think it I mean everybody's learning I don't right. think there are examples yet that we can point to of people who've made catastrophic mistakes on it. I, I think, you know, in my blog post I highlighted Fast Company experimented with a more humorous tone of voice, which mm -hmm. ended up not necessarily resonating, and so they adapted that. Mm -hmm. But that's an example of the kind of learning experience that all brands are going through. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. So. In the world of PR, we talk a lot about various sorts of media. So we have paid media, owned media, earned media. Um, we tend to be a lot more focused on the earned media side of things. Uh, but in your post, you mentioned that chatbots sort of in a new area, which you have characterized as experienced media. So how do you define that term and, and what do you see as the opportunity there for startups? Well, I think experienced media or experiential media is really uh, more of a trend where we see the channel of communication fusing with the experience of the core product or service that the brand is providing. So another example of that might be virtual reality or augmented reality. We think about chatbots as 
conversational experiences. And Edelman has actually just issued a, an interesting report, Digital Trends Report, its annual report just came out at the end of December. And there's actually a, a chapter in there for anyone who's interested in learning more about how chatbots can affect the way communications works. And there we talk about chatbots as conversational experiences. So one type of experiential media. The big opportunity there is that through those conversational experiences, we'll be starting to see them, whether it's through the form of chatbots or other forms of bots, being introduced into the home through hearables and um, devices like the Amazon Echo or into cars, or they're already strongly present in throughout the office through um, enterprise collaboration applications and tools. Sure. Um, they're already available on mobile devices, of course, but mm-hmm. that is one reason why these conversational experiences represent such a significant opportunity for communicators, the ability to get in front of a much wider audience and to be much more pervasive and connected to the way we live our lives. Shifting on to a different topic, you know, a lot of the audience for Inside Intercom is startups, and a lot of them are quite early stage. And I know you've, you've worked with quite a few startups in that, in that realm in the past. So thinking from the perspective of an early stage startup, if they haven't already started it, when is the best time to look to build out your PR plan? And how would a startup know when they're ready? Well, it's a good question. Uh, and I think it depends. Mm-hmm. Like all good communicators my answer is it depends Um, I think it depends on how you define PR if you're defining it in an old school way as just media relations then the answer is you're ready when you have a really strong story to tell right however (laughs) PR is not really just media relations anymore and it really is about earning attention and earning credibility Mm -hmm. as opposed to buying credibility or demanding it. Mm -hmm. And in today's society, as we all know, we have to earn attention. and It has to be earned. It can't be just bought or demanded. And so as a result, earning attention (laughs) is part of any aspect of marketing. Content marketing, for example, you have to make sure that your content stands for itself and will earn attention from readers. Mm -hmm. So If you look at it through that lens, you're ready from the get-go. You're always, every organization needs some level of PR, with air quotes, because (laughs) everybody needs to earn the right kind of attention or credibility. You should always be thinking about a reputation unless they're deliberately not trying to have a reputation yet. So, Absolutely. There may be reasons why you're in stealth or you are very laser focused on a particular set of limited customers. Mm -hmm. But even then you should be thinking about not necessarily going out and promoting yourself and Mm -hmm. beating your chest, but you need to be thinking about earning credibility. And that's particularly important right now where um, we, this sort of takes us onto the topic of trust and mistrust and fear in our society are at unprecedented levels. Right. And as we've seen from numerous articles over the last few months, the technology industry is at the heart of a lot of that and is mm-hmm. going to, is starting to and will continue to take some of the blame for that. Right. Um, and so we, you know, all tech companies of all sizes need to be prepared for that. Yeah. And need to be thinking around, you know, able to look around the corner and in, 
ensure that the way they're positioning themselves is going to resonate well with their community mm-hmm. and demonstrate that they have empathy and help offset potential negative consequences down the line. Uh, so on the on the topic of you're ready as soon as you have a story and well kind of there's two sides of this you're ready you should kind of always be ready but you're very much ready at, and especially from a media relations perspective once you have a very strong story. So what characterizes a really strong story and what's in other words what's what's newsworthy and what what is something that um, just down to basics that you could really rely on to take to the press? Great question. News is the psychology of the unexpected. And if you can't answer the so, if your news story doesn't pass the so what test, (laughs) then it's not a news story. If it doesn't somehow surprise the reader or tell them something they didn't already know, Mm -hmm. uh, then it's it's not news. So, you, you know, as an internal communicator or a communicator of any sort, you really need to be harsh on yourself when assessing the value of your news. I think the other way I think about this is the media, business media in particular, typically writes about just two things, people and money. So if your story doesn't have a strong human element and can't talk about the people whose lives it's affecting, or it doesn't talk about money in a way that is meaningful to individuals, to consumers, or in a way that shows how you are moving markets, then it's probably not got the right ingredients for a, a news story. So that's a good sort of guide mark to ensure that you don't just get lost in the weeds of your product, mm-hmm. but that you think about the wider ramifications yeah. of your story. Yeah, one thing actually I remember uh, when we worked together is you at one point spoke about um, that news stories typically fall into several buckets. So there's there's big buckets, right? Uh, you said kind of money and people, but I think you also said something about a news story can be characterized as novelty, celebrity, and I'm forgetting, I think there was one right. or two other... Scandal. Ca- scandal. Hardship or danger to the yeah, community. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I always found that like a really kind of useful yeah. guideline, despite the fact that I forget about it. But <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for reminding me of that. That's right. Yes. And that's often, a lot of those can sound very negative. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the art is figuring out how to take something that can feel like a negative, like hardship or danger to the community, for instance, yeah. figuring out how that can be applied to you. It doesn't actually mean that you have to be telling negative stories or piggybacking mm-hmm. on negative stories. You just need to think about what's going to surprise and deliver something new. Right. So something that I thought about in that regard is if as a company you're undergoing a hardship or you've maybe failed in some way that isn't fundamental to the company. I think a lot of startups in my experience are pretty reticent to share those experiences, but they tend to make the best stories. And I think increasingly now that we're in this time where there's a lot more skepticism and, you know, companies have big companies like you know, I won't name names, but very obvious ones have have publicly failed. Uh, I think credibility is 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 a much bigger issue, and, and authenticity is something that people are really looking for. So, startups that can share those tales of "Hey, we screwed up, and here's how we fixed it, and here's what we learned," I think are resonating even better these days. You're absolutely right, and I think to your point, now more than ever, because of the need for authenticity. I think it's always been the case. If you look at storytelling over centuries, every story has a story arc. And and you can't have a story arc without there being some kind of hero struggle or protagonists, (laughs) an obstacle for the protagonist to overcome. Sure. If you don't have the arc, you just have a flat line. And that's not exciting for anybody. But 
to your point, specifically now, big part of credibility building for a startup may not have vast numbers of customers or great big partner ecosystems to talk about yet. Sure. What you do have is your founders. Yep. And so for private companies, a lot of the value that for those private companies comes from the credibility of the founders. Mm-hmm. And so the founder story and not just the, the story of founding the particular company that you're working on at the moment, yep. but the founder's history and credibility is really important. And you can tell that in a series of resume-like bullet points, mm-hmm. but you should also tell that through the form of your own personal story. What yeah. are some of the challenges that you faced? That yeah. will resonate much more. Yeah, I think that's really good advice. So coming to a little bit more of a practical standpoint, something that a lot of startups think about, especially once they become VC-funded, is enlisting a PR agency, which um, I know that's the world you come from, and I, I do as well, to a certain degree. So how does a company know whether that's the right decision for them? And you know, what's the pros and cons of perhaps keeping PR in-house and hiring a team in-house initially or working with an agency? And does company size affect that? Well, I think there are typically three phases that a startup goes through in terms of their communications needs. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for the sake of simplicity, I'll tie that to the different funding rounds that companies might go through, although, of course, it's different for every organization. Um, Series A or B, uh, typically, or series, probably more Series A, is your needs are usually more focused around getting credibility and understanding of your technology. And I'm thinking specifically about technology companies here, but sure. it could be, you know, it may not doesn't have to be a technology company, it could be in other sectors, but your proposition mm-hmm. is likely to be not part of an existing category. Yeah. Or if it is part of an existing category, it's at least a new perspective on it. And so there's yeah. some education to be done. And yeah. so Getting attention early on, Mm -hmm. it's really all about just making sure that there's an understanding with your very specific target audiences of what it is you're trying to communicate. That may be best done internally Mm -hmm. because those are the people who have an understanding of the technology or the products or the proposition. That said, that's also the phase when you have a small team. Mm -hmm. uh, You may not have a marketer or a communications expert in-house, and so you may need to turn to somebody externally to help you just take that message or adapt it and communicate it. Right. Second phase, B and C round, is when you're more likely to be focused very much on revenue generation. And Mm -hmm. so you are working, everything you're doing is pretty much geared around lead generation, customers, partners. And so the type of PR that you do will change. And it needs to be tied in very tightly to your content marketing, your lead generation programs. Mm -hmm. So at that point, the needs become a little bit more complex and where you might need an agency is if you need specialist expertise that you're starting to need a broader range of expertise and skill sets in-house and you may not have all of those. Uh, And so that's where you would either, you you might keep some of it in-house but you might work with an agency to bring in some of those capabilities. And then the third stage, once you start to get to sort of DE round, expansion stage funding, that's when you're likely to be transitioning from a single product to a multi-product company. Mm-hmm. You may be looking to expand internationally. You may be thinking about a liquidity event at some point. All of those things yep. require not only more additional expertise, and you may be going through some more complex challenges where you need people with unique expertise that you wouldn't want to have on staff all of the time. Yep. But you also need to work with somebody who's 
done that before. Yeah. And so that's often, you know, companies either hire someone in who's been through that process before sure. or they work with an agency partner to help them. Yeah go through that process because once you start to look at regulatory challenges yes. and and um, more complex international communication challenges, yeah. the safety net of knowing that somebody has done it before is really important. Yeah, and I think that's a really helpful way of breaking it down. Just before we continue with today's episode, I wanted to let you know about Offscript. It's a new series of candid conversations with intercom leadership all about the extraordinary AI-driven transformation we're currently experiencing. Episode 1 is on our YouTube channel right now. Here's a teaser of what you can expect. I don't want to come across as overly dramatic, but for every single tech company, this is an adapt-or-die moment. It's inevitable that all businesses are going to go AI first. It's just a matter of time. In this post-AI world, new companies will rise, old companies will fall. Of course, some of these new companies will flame out. Some old companies will pivot successfully too. I don't think any of us could see a world where this wasn't going to be one of the biggest changes in the customer service landscape ever. The world we care about is customer service, and it's so patently obvious that the old way will be quickly obsolete. We're racing hard to build a future which will result in better experiences and results for customers and businesses too. It's not just a product change, it's a mindset change. Let's make space to talk about all of this. We have so much we want to share. We want to explore these ideas in the open. We want to provoke new ones in you. We want to learn from your reaction. You just click the kind of like big stupid go button, right, and see what happens. Welcome to Offscript. That's all to come on Offscript. The first episode is out now. You can watch it on Intercom's YouTube channel and we'll bring you audio versions of the episodes right here. Now, back to today's episode. You know, I think social media is something that we kind of talked around when we were talking about chatbots. And, you know, it, it has now sort of been eclipsed by the growth of messaging as far as uh, monthly active users. It's very popular. But social media is still hugely important and a big part of many companies' marketing programs and communication programs specifically. So I think a while ago, it was sort of held up as this holy grail of the future of PR and marketing. And um, things have changed pretty rapidly. And, and you know, in, in my opinion, I think it has, has turned largely into a paid platform. And um, it's, it's hard to get a lot of attention unless you either have a very, very big audience, which many startups are not going to have for a long time, if ever, or you're, you're throwing some money behind it. So um, I just kind of be curious to your thoughts on that. And is messaging going to take that on? Is it going to kind of replace some of what the hopes that we had for social media or is it going to fill in those gaps at all? Mm. Well, I think you're right that there is a lot of content pollution. The other issue that's affecting paid media is bot fraud. So, you know, I think it's something like $7.2 billion that bot fraud has cost advertisers in 2016. So that's a big concern. I think that we are still fairly early on in seeing what social media can do sure. to help us to change the way we, we engage with our customers, with our audiences, build business models, communicate. Um, I think to, to your point... Has it already, is there an opportunity still to do organic social media? One of the things that social media has done is create a whole new generation of influencers. Mm -hmm. And so I think organizations right now are really just starting to understand how best to work with those influencers. Some sure. of that's paid and some of it's not. Mm -hmm. That'll continue. Yeah. 
one of the other things that we'll see happen as a result of some of the concerns about ad blocking, bot fraud, yeah. um, and fake news, mm -hmm. for example, is a move towards more tangible but still digital forms of communication and advertising. So out-of-home digital mm -hmm. advertising is yep. one. Podcasting yes. is another. <laughs> yep. um, so you're on the right side of that. Um, we'll start to see more of more of that happening. So, on, on, again, on a more practical level, should startups enlist a real dedicated owner for social media? I think, you know, this is something from my experience. I've seen every company does a little bit differently. They've got, you know, someone in charge of social. Sometimes it's kind of the stepchild that is kind of um, not really owned by anyone, but kind of in different parts of it are owned by different parts of an organization. What, in your experience, tends to work the best um, for startups? Mm. Well, I think where we've seen it work the best is when you have a social media center of excellence or practice expert. You have a team of people or an individual who, depending on your size, who is constantly studying the latest um, developments and mm -hmm. best practices and can provide that expertise across the organization. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to actually implementing social media programs, social media marketing programs. Social media actually affects every department within an organization. So you'll need your social media marketing programs. You'll need your customer support. Your, you'll need your talent management and HR. Mm -hmm. And you'll need, you know, you, you have all these different stakeholders right. and all these different functions like within the business. Regard. Right. And they all have a social media element. Yeah. We are seeing the more routine community management aspects of social media sure. going away. Mm -hmm. um, those are, Some of them will start to, are starting to be automated. Some of them are, you know, less high-value exercises, and it still needs to be done. Um, yeah. But having that center of excellence to be able to move your overall digital strategy forward yeah. is really important, and then that can serve as a, as a hub for the other functions within the organization. Okay. So... We talked about a wide range of things, uh, shifts in news coverage, and how mediums like social and chatbots are impacting our field. So what is PR going to look like in five years? And what's next for us? Well, there's a couple of ways I could answer that. One, I, you know, I think, yes, we'll see lots of new shiny things appearing in PR. We'll see, hopefully, PR budgets will change. And so PR yes. <laughs> chief communications officers will start to adopt some of the technologies in the way that marketing chief marketing officers have, yep. um, we'll start to see greater use of AR, VR, wearables. We'll start to see greater use of different digital technologies from spanning paid media all the way through to organic and owned and greater emphasis on content. But I think that actually the biggest change will, is more of a structural one. Mm -hmm. And you talked about how to structure social media within startups, the bigger trend there is how communications and marketing will actually be structured within organizations as a whole. Yeah. And yeah, I think in five years' time, we may not have two separate, completely separate functions, communications and marketing. It may all be one. And some yeah. of the silos, traditional silos between the different marketing disciplines right. will go away. Yeah. And instead marketing organizations will be structured around the customer. And 
the so different experiences, right, <laughs> yeah. that, that those different customers need to have in order for right. them to feel engaged with your company. Mm-hmm. So that'll probably be the big challenge. And organizations are really struggling with how to structure themselves for, yeah. for today's reality versus where they know it's going in the future. But yeah. that's, that's probably what we'll end up seeing. Great. Well, Lucy, it's been wonderful having you on the podcast. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. I've enjoyed it. You've been listening to the Inside Intercom podcast. For more episodes, visit soundcloud.com slash intercom. If you'd like to subscribe, search for Inside Intercom in iTunes or Stitcher. And for even more great content, check out blog.intercom.com.